plan for your life? Do you know where you want to go? Are you looking to be happier, healthier, and wealthier while having more fun every day? Meet our empowerment architect and goddess gardener, Cynthia Bryan, as she engages in energetic exchanges with success experts, bringing you research, innovations, strategies, and techniques to strengthen your life, business, and personal spaces. Be inspired, motivated, encouraged, and empowered. Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. The party starts now. Well, hello, my Wednesday winners. It's Cynthia Bryan, and you're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We are coming to you live on the Voice American Network, and we're brought to the airwaves under the SBCs of Be the Star You Are charity. We will continue today with our Wednesdays with writers. So coming up in segment two, I'm really excited to bring you this book. It's called Saving the Light at Sharka. How the Great Cathedral and its Stained Glass Treasures were rescued during World War II. So Victor Pollock, the author, will be with us. And it is really a fascinating, a fascinating look, um, not only about the war, but about uh, Wellborn B. Griffith Jr., who was an Army colonel and is credited with having saved the cathedral on August 16th, 1944, just a few hours before he actually died. So that's pretty fascinating. We'll also be talking to you about um, the admission process for college and how the impact of COVID-19 is kind of messing things up and counselors are confused and there's online testing glitches. It's actually challenging to plan for our young people and we have to stay optimistic and uh, keep conducting research online to be informed, but we'll bring you what is the latest information on that. Uh, the miracle moment for today is brought to you by Be The Star You Are charity. You can visit Be The Star You Are at Be the star you are dot org and this was from Anne Rand throughout the centuries there were men who took first steps down new roads armed with nothing but their own vision well in segment one I want to talk about the love of reading and the importance of reading I, there's a lot of reading going on right now when people were sheltering at home and I know the different states are opening up some are open some are slowly opening but reading seems to be a really big thing. In the last few weeks, we've had a plethora of people contacting Be The Star You Are who want to be book reviewers. Um, and it's very interesting. It takes a lot of time because I'm having, I respond to everybody. But we send them a questionnaire to see who is, um, is going to be on the show. I mean, be, on, uh, be part of our team. And what happens is, uh, once they send the questionnaire back, then we can decide if they're going to be on our team. But a lot of people don't send it back. But the ones that do become really good book reviewers and readers. So, you know, reading together is one of the most powerful ways to create an emotional bond with your child or grandchild. And with the right techniques and attitudes, it's a way to instill a lifelong love of reading. And one of the things that we do when we do uh, get a new volunteer is is we actually um, um, we actually say that it's I mean we actually send them a book so um, 
if that's what they want. You know, we our book is what we what we like to give them so it's a really cool way as you get a book <laughs> and you can be a reader so here are some tips to install instill um, a love of reading with your children grandchildren or anybody that you want to is choose books for the child and at the child's reading level and I mean it's important not to choose a book that's overly complicated for a younger reader and you don't want to worry if the reading level of the book is a bit above or below where the child is at. Uh, but reading at home should be about fun. It's not about achievement or levels or any of that. We can leave that to teachers. And the most important thing is to think about what makes the kid excited? What topics are enriching? So, you know, they don't, it doesn't have to be a teachable moment from a book. Uh, if, you know, if the kids love tractors or... If they like, um, you know, if they like to watch, uh, you know, water moving or whatever it is, you know, get them a book that is about what they like. Kids who say that they don't like reading usually haven't found something that engages them. So the graphic novel, novels, picture books, collections of world records, sports statistics, jokes, weird facts, you know, cartoon characters, all those are really good choices for young readers. So you really have to find out what is the passion of the child, what do they really gravitate to? And then they'll definitely a book, be a book for them. Maybe they like animals, you know, that's always a, kids seem to like animals a lot. So, and sports is definitely another one. Then get comfortable. You can, if your child is young, you can hold your child on the lap. Some kids like to sit by your side. Uh, beanbag chairs, you know, are just really great and they feel cozy because you kind of like scoop up in them or if you're outside you could be on a hammock um, and don't assume that a, um, a a toddler who's running around and you're trying to read a book isn't listening because they probably are so keep reading even if they're running around you know it's hard to keep them down and take your time. Reading to a child isn't about uh, getting to the end. It's really about the engagement. So with picture books, a child might look at the illustrations in different orders and at a different pace and the words that you're reading. And just stay flexible and let the book take you where the child wants to go. Stay enthusiastic, too, even when you're reading the same book for the thousandth time. And most kids love that because, especially if they don't know how to read yet and you're doing a picture book, they really love to actually tell you the story. So repetition is good for babies and for older kids. So wanting to hear the same story over and over and over is part of a cognitive development. And what they're doing is they're processing the words and they're getting this all details. So just stay excited and keep reading over and over and over. And then enhance reading with conversation. Reading isn't just about speaking the words on the page. With picture books, kids read by taking in the information from the illustrations. So you might actually start a conversation around something that's in the drawings. It's like, so what do you think that pig is um, doing sitting near the egg or Whatever it is, you know, do you think that the the little boy is going to jump in the pool? 
you can just ask questions and you can say, well, what do you see? What do you think's happening here? And let them respond. And because they are creating the book in their mind. And then if you make any mistakes, just laugh about it. It shows that your child that, uh, that you're fallible. You know, nobody is infallible and mistakes are normal. So once kids start school, they feel so much pressure to be perfect, which is a word. I don't like the word perfect. So uh, it's good to make mistakes. And then create new family reading traditions as your child gets older. And one idea that people have used, it seems to be fun, is to create a family book club where everyone in the family reads the same book and then they will gather, um, you know, make a meeting, have a have a, a, a time and make it kind of special. And they talk about the book and what chapters that they liked. And maybe they even read some of the pages. So those are just a few tips. And now I want to read, a, I wrote a chapter called The Gift of Reading in the book, Be the Star You Are for Teens, it, and it's actually called The Gift of Reading. So I thought that it would kind of fit into this segment before we get to our guest. So books have always been my trusted companions. As a child, I loved The Wind in the Willows and the Beatrix Potter series. During pre-adolescence, it was Lives of the Saints and Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys. And then during my teen years, I sought comfort in biographies and histories and Jane Austen and the Bronte sisters and Shakespeare and romance. And of course, lots of romance. And then serious reading was part of my university education with books on anthropology, geography, history, art, theater, philosophy, religion, geology, combined with the occasional personal growth tome. Now, besides books on achievement and self-help, my current fascination is the exploits um, of the wayward sailor Tristan Jones, who just really writes beautifully about his adventures and mishaps on incredible voyages on the seven seas in a small craft. But there's never been a time that I didn't have a book by my bedside table. And during a time of turmoil, I turn to books. And we're definitely in a time of turmoil now. Because books have their own unique power. They allow us to get inside the lives of characters and lose ourselves in an adventure in a way that movies, the internet, or real life really can't. And books last for generations and never lose their appeal. And they're the gift that just keeps on gifting. There are the perennial favorites like Little Women, Gone with the Wind, Wizard of Oz, that continue to amuse me no matter how many times I've read them. I have really, uh, I've had fun because I just found um, in a, a first edition of Gone with the Wind that was written back in the 30s, and I'm really excited about it. So I also coach my young students, and you know, to just read what they love. Well, you know, for a while there, it was Harry Potter and Twilight, whatever. Whatever it is that they like. It, so it doesn't matter what you read, just as long as you spend some time every day reading. And the more you read, the better you'll write and converse. And your vocabulary increases and your understanding of the world grows. Now, a few years ago, the president of the Authors Guild um, sent out a, a letter, and this is just a snippet of his observation. 
Booksellers aren't known for vast reserves of capital, so as a serious dip in sales can be devastating, booksellers don't receive congressional attention. A government bailout isn't in the cards. We don't want bookstores to die. Authors need them. Neighborhoods need them. So let's mount a book buying splurge. Get your friends together. Have a book buying party. Buy the rest of your presents and and make them books. Clear out the mysteries. Wrap up the histories. Beam up the science fiction. Round up the Westerns, go crazy for self-help, and say yes to the university press books. Get a load of those coffee table books, fatten up on slim volumes of verse, and take a chance on romance. There will be birthdays in the next 12 months. Books keep well. They're easy to wrap. Buy the books now. And buy replacements for any books looking raggedy on your shelves. Stockpile chickens book, uh, children's books as gifts for friends who look like they may eventually give birth and hold off on the flat screen TV and the GPS. Yeah, they'll be, they'll be cheaper later anyway. And just buy books, books, books. So I, the interesting thing is, is this was written um, 10 years ago and now bookstores are also suffering. So think about that. Find an interesting book, dive into its pages. You're soon going to realize that's what's old is new again, because history does repeat itself. And most importantly, remember this fact, You'll be the same person in five years, except for the people you meet and the books you read. So buy a book today. And as we say here at Be The Star You Are Charity, to be a leader, you must be a reader. Read, lead, succeed. When we come back from break, Victor Pollock will be with us, and we're going to talk about his really incredibly, wonderfully researched book, Saving the Light at Chartres, How the Great Cathedral and Its Stained Glass Treasures Were Rescued During World War II. Don't go away. I'll be back in a bit. us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Are you seeking a dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world, lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR, 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 and visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan, www.cynthiabryan.com. This business of show business is calling out to me. Get started acting or modeling with a consultation from media coach extraordinaire Cynthia Bryan, who has guided entertainment careers for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR, 925-377-STAR. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. 
Now, back to the power party. This business of show business. Well, we're back, and this is going to be such an enlightening interview. We're going to be interviewing and speaking with Victor Pollack. He wrote an incredible book. It's called Saving the Light at Chartres, How the Great Cathedral and Its Stained Glass Treasures Were Rescued During World War II. Victor is an attorney in practice, uh, private practice. He was born in Illinois, and he has traveled quite a bit, and he has done so much research for this book. It was just unbelievable. Welcome, Victor, to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Thank you very much, Cynthia. It's, uh, I appreciate your having me. It's an honor to be with you. Well, thank you. This is, you know, I have to say, I was telling Josh, our engineer, uh, that when I first received the book and I looked at, oh my gosh, it's 385 pages, uh, you know, I, I, and I thought, oh my gosh, how am I going to get through this? I have to tell you, Victor, the way that you laid it out, the way you started with the cathedrals and then you wound around through the war and then about Griff. I was just mesmerized, and I just, I just gobbled it up. I think it's just an amazing, really wonderfully researched and informed book about World War II and what happened in France and in Chartres. Well, thank you, thank you very much, Cynthia. Well, I, I, I should mention that the text of the story itself is only 280 pages. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the rest is footnotes, but, uh, I, but I tried to make it know, readable. That's exactly right, and you're. Exa- I, I'm glad that you said that because I was just that. I don't know if I've ever seen that many footnotes. You did so. You did such big bibliography and notes so that you could really get the background of everything. Well, let's just let's dive in right away because it's such an, a, a wonderful story. And one that people don't really know about, because uh, I hadn't, I mean, you know that they, the stained glass windows were taken out, but I had no idea how challenging and how difficult and what was really, what was really going on. So let's start with the story of Griffith Wellborn, um, because he was a character I hadn't heard yeah. in, about until I read your book. And yeah. he's. I'll I'll let you go ahead and tell a little bit because I want to get to him being married and having little Alice and going to the Philippines and being thought that he was a spy when he went to Japan and how that might have informed the rest of his life. But just you give us a little bit of backstory. Well, his his name was Wellborn Barton Griffith Jr. And uh, uh, he was a a young man who grew up in a small Texas town of Quana, which is uh, about 60 miles north of Dallas, uh, grew up in that small town in the 19 the 1900s and uh, early 19 teens. Uh, then he moved to um, he went to Dallas to finish high school. His father was a an important uh, grocery uh, a grocer in um, Quana, uh, and it was a town that was. Uh, that served uh, a large number of farms and ranches surrounding it. So it was both a, a retail and wholesale grocery business. But uh, Griff, uh, who he was, he was known as, as, um, as uh, uh, Webb in, in his early To his family, life, right? Uh, his his, his family, family called him Webb, um, but the people he, in the military called him Griff. 
Yes, he talked his parents into letting him go to Dallas to live with a family that his father had known and actually had worked for earlier in his life. Um, and there he spent, he finished high school. Uh, he got himself uh, admitted to um, Texas A&M as a cadet and then uh, moved on and finally got admitted to West Point. Uh, graduated from West Point in 1925, was a very, very important football player, uh, an offensive lineman on the championship uh, Army football team. Um, and then he entered the Army. He wanted to be a flyer, an, an aviator in the early Air Force, but um, uh, he was too tall and uh, was rejected. So he entered the um, uh, the infantry and uh, went on to a, a very distinguished career with a wide variety of training in uh, infantry, in, in tank warfare, uh, and eventually became a faculty member at the very important uh, staff command college at Fort Leavenworth in Kansas. Uh, and there is where he met the important people who eventually recruited him to become the headquarters operations officer, the number three man in a new unit called the 20th Corps, uh, one of the key divisions or the key corps in General Patton's Third Army in World War II. But um, he was such a, he really seemed like he was a real imposing figure. And he certainly was described, you know, after his death with just glowing reports of how people really admired him and his leadership. He, he was revered by his colleagues and by the people, the men who reported to him. Um, he was close to being uh, appointed a general at the time he was killed. And uh, his loss was a huge, huge blow to the 20th Corps. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, let's get right on to, let's talk about um, Chartres right now, too, because that mm -hmm. was really something. The monuments, first of all, in France. So the Historic Monument Administration and the Fine Arts Administration, there was Jean Zay that, uh, mm -hmm. I guess it was around 1937, they realized that they had to start moving these works of arts and stained glass into hiding from the Germans because of what had happened uh, before in REM, right, with the cathedral. Yeah, in, so, in World War I. In, in World War I, yes, yeah. that was yeah. in World War I. So they, had, they, were, they knew this had to happen. I found it fascinating that while they were trying to keep it secret, that a journalist, this Anne, um, what was her, Foncre? Was her, was that, that Anne, she, and she wrote in Le Journal. Foncre, yeah. Yeah, um, that she, she actually she, published their plans, a very simplistic version, as if it was going to be really easy. But it seemed, why would you do that? Because the Germans are going to read it. Well, what, th th this whole this whole campaign started uh, as, a, as a local movement by the citizens of Chartres, who uh, were trying first to get the uh, French Air Force to relocate an airbase. The airbase, right. Yeah, it was located less than a kilometer away from the cathedral. And they were worried that that would make the cathedral uh, prime collateral damage territory surrounding this very important military target. Not only the airbase, but a, an important rail depot 
you know, just a, a part, uh, half, half a kilometer from the community. Away, right. So, so this began as a public movement to publicize the problem, and actually it involved a, a, a group of 40 newspapers who were launching this campaign, and they ultimately failed at convincing the, the government to move the airbase. So instead, they mounted a, a campaign to force the government. Uh, and in France, the, the, the great cathedrals are owned by the government, not by the church. Uh, that's a result of what happened in the French Revolution. But uh, they, uh, they, they, they just... Uh, had a frenzy of local activity, trying to urge the government to, to hurry up and remove these windows before the war would start, because everyone feared there would be another German invasion of, of, of France. And they were how right they were. And but what a monumental task that was. Well, uh, <laughs> I mean, it involves so many artisans and glassmakers and, uh, and, you know, trucks and volunteers. But the, the yeah. crazy thing is how actually quickly they did it once they figured it all out. Well, it was so beautifully organized that they were able to accomplish it. Uh, when they finally came to the removal, uh, they, they accomplished it in, in eight days eight of work days. And Which wasn't was it was it two weeks just for the rest of without two weeks for all of the cathedrals? Is that what it was? Well, there there was a group of of absolutely essential cathedrals, um, right? And and that, that that group was 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 protected as a group. It involved uh, uh, Saint Chapelle in Paris and the cathedrals at Bourges, at Amiens, at Metz, and at Chartres. And and also another important church in Chart. Um, it, it, this is the, the, the Chart windows alone uh, consisted of 175 huge stained glass windows um, that that contained more than 5,000 panels with beautiful depictions of, of biblical stories. Um, overall, that whole group of churches involved. 193,000 square feet of glass. You see, was, uh, when I read that, I was like, could this be a typo? That, no. that just, that boggled no. my mind that they were able to do that, you know, once they got it going. And then they had to move them to a safe place, either in crypts or underneath chateaus or wherever. And what I was fearful of is if one of the cathedrals or one of the chateaus had been bombed, would have it gone down to the crypt? I mean, couldn't have it have have um, you know blown up the crypt or blown up the area where the stained glass was? Yes, it certainly could have. And uh, a, um, a little understood fact about Gothic French Gothic cathedrals is that the stones of which you know from which the, the church is 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 constructed. Are, are actually simply stacked together and fit, fitted closely in place. And the whole structure is held together by inward, by, by a balance of inward and outward forces. So when you, when you have an arch, the arch actually pushes to the outside 
and the butter, the flying buttresses on the outside of the church hold hold the pressure in. So if, if a bomb hits a cathedral, chances are it, it, it will it would collapse. Um, so the plan was to pack up all of the shark windows, and it uh, they, they they created one thousand custom wooden crates in which to store those windows. They were temporarily initially stored in the crypt of the cathedral while they were frantically searching for a place, a distant place to which to move them. And this was part of a much larger program that involved essentially emptying all of the museums of France, packing up the artworks and and shipping them to more than 100 chateaux all over the country. But by the time they got the shard windows removed, that they didn't have any other spaces, uh, any more chateau left in, in which to hide them. And so they had to find one more, and ultimately they identified it very late in the game. Actually, it was in um, April and May of 1940. Well, and they just missed, I mean, it was just remarkable because it was literally what a an hour or two before everything was bombed. I mean, and the roads were closed yeah. and the trains were blown up and how it was like a miracle that the, they got was, to the Chateau. They, they finally removed the windows, you know, the last weekend before the Germans reached Paris, when all the, the uh, bombing in the area was, was heavily underway. And actually the, the rail network was shut down uh, right after the first of the two trains got out. So one of the trains managed to take half the windows to a place called Chateau Fongrenon, which is down in southwestern South, yes. Bordeaux. South, South of Bordeaux, isn't it? Near, near Bordeaux, just, mm -hmm. uh, just northeast of Bordeaux. And um, the second train was loaded and actually left the station, but by the time it got out, it had to come back, and they had to empty the train, uh, putting the crates into a fleet of trucks, and they were planning to drive them all the way to Bordeaux. But by the time they got them reloaded, all of the roads were completely inundated by... Well, there the were refugees. refugees. I mean, there were people, there were carts and people and, you know, all kinds of things. Well, I want to jump forward from the, this because I want to get to the fact of Griff. First of all, you give extensive information about all the different war movements. I mean, what they were doing from the time, you know, that they were in England to, I love the trick that was played where they, the, uh, they, the allies uh, let the Germans think they were going to land in Calais. And of course they went to Normandy and they even had movie studios and set designers create entire fake scenes. I mean, that was fascinating to read that, but let's get to Griff because he, so he is now in France. Um, Eisenhower has, said that he wants to try to save as many monuments as possible, not to hit them, if that's at all possible. But he he gets, um, he's nervous about Chartres. His sister had been there um, before and had told him about these beautiful windows, etc. So would you take mm -hmm. us through his that day that he actually saves the windows and yeah. then what transpired? The 20th Corps is the group that 
that came ashore uh, a couple of weeks after D-Day and, and essentially rushed across France, chasing the Germans. And their first major battle after the breakout from the Normandy beaches uh, was at Chartres. And Chartres was a, a, a relocation point for the German army. The defeated units who had been routed in Western France were racing, uh, essentially retreating as, as fast as they could and told to reassemble at Chartres. So by the time the 7th Armored Division arrived, there was uh, very heavy fighting. And the battle for Chartres was uh, a battle that lasted almost four days. Um, and well into the battle, uh, it became clear that there was brutal artillery fire that was landing on the Allied troops. And many of the field commanders uh, thought that somehow the Germans must be using the towers, the of towers at the cathedral to spot the artillery. These towers are 400, more than 400 feet tall, and they're on top of a, of a, of a hill, of a, of a substantial hill I in mean, an area a that is otherwise degree, completely 360-degree uh, view. If you get up to the top of the towers, they would have been able, or whoever was up there, but the Germans would be able to see the movement throughout the countryside at 360 yes. degrees. Chart is, is in an area that is essentially very large, flat wheat fields. So the, the, the cathedral had a commanding view uh, for probably 30 or 40 miles in all directions. And um, the orders, there were standing orders uh, for, the, for the Allied forces to stay away from the cathedral, not to do any shelling anywhere near it, or if they had to do shelling, to do only observed fire. And... Um, uh, early one morning in the uh, in the briefing, uh, in, after the first heavy day of, of fighting, um, uh, Griffith heard the field commanders asking for the cathedral to be attacked and for the for the, the towers to be destroyed, and somehow uh, he decided to leave the headquarters, which was about 15 miles west of Chartres. Um, and to have his driver drive him directly into the city, uh, which was essentially behind enemy lines, because the city was still heavily occupied by the Germans. Yeah, the Germans that night yeah. there, had been, there had been a huge, brutal tank battle with a number of American tanks wiped out right inside the city near the cathedral. Um, and he, he must have been determined to inspect the cathedral personally uh, to determine whether or not there really were spotters in those towers. Um, well, and he risked his life doing it. I mean, he he ran into two clerics, um, and yeah. he was able to get the keys to go up to the towers, and he did both the north and the south towers and determined right. that nobody was there, at least that he could see. He was able to have the bells rung, and he flew the American right. flag, which was, uh, I think, had to have been a relief that there weren't Germans there. So right. he saved he yeah. saved the towers, but, the, but then he came back down. And, 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 um, and he, ordered, he ordered that there be no shelling. Of, right. Of, because, yeah. So but 
General Eisenhower had declared that uh, because historic monuments are so important, uh, that their destruction uh, was, would be prohibited if it's unnecessary. And in order to attack a cathedral, commanders have to preserve them through the exercise of restraint and discipline. And so his actions that day really embodied Eisenhower's order. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he is revered by the, the people of Chartres for what he did. Uh, well, in fact, but- I, we only have two minutes left, uh, Victor, and there's so much to talk about in this book. But but what ends up happening is he's actually killed a couple hours later when he jumps right. on the back of a tank to continue on in his plight. But where he landed, where he died... Um, there's a monument, well, there's a plaque on the wall, and the people of Chartres, they still, they, they still revere him annually, right? They have a celebration in his honor. On, on, on August 16th, every year. August yeah. 16th, and he died yeah. August 16th, 1944. Yeah, so last, last August was the 75th anniversary of this event. That it's just it, it's such an amazing an amazing story, and there's so much more to it. And so I want to encourage listeners to visit victorpollock.net and to pick up a copy of the book "Saving the Light at Chartres: How the Great Cathedral and Its Stained Glass Treasures Were Rescued During World War II." I also want to say, Victor, I really enjoyed seeing the photos inside. You have some lovely photos in color of the windows, and then you have many, many uh, photos, archival photos in black and white of the family, of his wartime, of the different heroes um, in France as well, because we never even got to some of the other heroes that you talk about uh, in yeah. your book, and, you know, like Jean, most- Jean Moulin and... And and Jean Zay, yeah, two of and the most mm-hmm. French resistance martyrs. Were the resistance, in. yeah. yeah there, uh, so there's so much to learn in this book, and I personally learned so much just by seeing it. And when you look at these black and white pictures of the crypt and how some of the crates were falling apart, and it's it's really something. But you, the, your attention to detail and the way you researched this is just to be applauded. So I enjoyed this book so much. Uh, It was really fascinating to learn about the cathedral and also to learn about the war and then also to learn about Griff and his dedication and just what an upstanding man. I can only imagine what a wonderful general he would have made. But, you know, like his brother, his brother called it web suicide um, because it was it's pretty sad that he was, what, only, he was only in his early 40s, 41? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was, yeah, he was 40, 42 at the time. Well, 42, but, somewhere there. Yeah. It's, really it's, sad. You know, what, that's just, you know, that's just speculation. That's just a theory. And, uh, you know, I think what's important is this man be be appreciated for his bravery. Yes. Uh, and, and for the example that he showed. And, you know, for the, the role he played in what has been a 900-year story of yes. this magnificent cathedral, which is so important to... to, to uh, hundreds of thousands of people whose lives revolve around this cathedral. 
And well, it's probably, it's probably more like millions because it's been almost a pilgrimage place since since uh, since Chartres was built. So Chartres has, has been visited by one to two million people every year. Yeah. Right. Year after year after year. Yeah. Every single year. Well, and what they wrote about him, and I mean, again, he was definitely, he definitely is a hero, although his, his daughter says that he wouldn't have wanted to be called a hero. But when you read what, how he proceeded and what he did, um, that, I don't know, it, it took a lot of grit and a lot of strength and definitely courage and bravery. So thank you, Victor, for coming on Be The Star You Are. The website for Victor is victorpollock.net, V-I-C-T-O-R-P-O-L-L-A-K. The book, again, Saving the Light at Sharta how the great cathedral and its stained glass treasures were rescued during World War II. So if you like art, if you like cathedrals, if you like France, if you like war stories, if you like hero stories, if you like a well-researched history with lots and lots of detail, this is the book for you. Great job, Victor. Really, congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was, Cynthia, I, I, I deeply appreciate your support and uh, your willingness to undertake this effort to help us in this time of difficulty in trying to launch a book. Oh, uh, it's my pleasure. I, I really feel for all the authors and artists and musicians and everyone out there who have had all of their, um, their launches canceled, whether it be book signings or in-person appearances. It's really tough. So I'm just trying to do my little part. But it's it's uh, thank you very much for uh, mentioning it. And I wish you total success. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was Victor Pollock. Again, Saving the Light at Chartres. Please visit his website, victorpollock.net, and check out this book. You will really, really be mesmerized by it. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. And we will be right back. Be the star you are. The star you are. world change your life voiceamericaempowerment.com business bites here's cynthia bryan so are you thinking of starting a business you have a lot of choices and you can start from scratch you could buy one you could purchase a franchise but the best way to figure out what and how you will start your business is to ask yourself a few questions. What is it that you want to start? What is the product or service that you want to sell? Who are your customers or clients going to be? Is your product or service necessary? Are you going to be able to do it online during these tough times? How can you set yourself apart from the competition? How will you fund it? And who do you know that already runs a business like the one you want to do? Starting a business means that you're already halfway there. So think about it and then do it. Remember, you're the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another business bite from Star Style. For more information, visit CynthiaBryan.com. Be the star you are. The star you are. The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. 
help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be The Star You Are charity. A top-rated nonprofit, Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, produces positive radio broadcasts, and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376, 376, Moraga, California, 94556. BeTheStarYouAre.org. Dare to care. You are the star. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. Well, thank you so much for staying with me. Uh, Wednesdays with writers. It's been my pleasure to bring you the different writers who are members of the Authors Guild. And uh, we really want to get their books out there. Well, lockdowns have disrupted standardized tests and grades, and they forced schools to consider a range of other approaches for selecting students. So I want to just talk just a little bit about college admissions. I mean, now what? What's going to happen? That's the question that's on the minds of soon-to-be college applicants who've been, you know, building towards this moment for so many years. And They didn't get to have a graduation, and they've been relentlessly focused on grades and standardized tests and resume building and all kinds of other necessities to get into the right school. And now we've got this global pandemic. Uh, Classes were either modified or canceled. You know, everything is sort of in confusion. Well, admissions officers are asking the same questions, and they're not really quite sure what they're going to be doing either. So it remains to be seen how schools are going to assess, attract, and enroll applicants in this uh, crazy application season. And I don't even know how, if, how they're going to know if it's working or not working because the disruption of the pandemic has created a real-life laboratory on a nationwide scale. And colleges will be forced to rely on methods of evaluating students that were already under critical spotlight because of the recent Varsity Blues scandal, as we know so much about. And more schools are going to be considering options that formerly were implied only by other um, other more adventurous colleges, and those include maybe outsourcing the review of student performances to third parties or deploying new assessments that ask questions meant to gauge those hard measure non-cognitive qualities like grit, curiosity, and they might even use artificial intelligence to sort through the, you know, it's complicated, the applications. They even might... um, be asking applicants for more recommendations or evaluations. They might even ask them to evaluate themselves. And so the bottom line is the college application is going to have to be reimagined. Well, here in uh, our local area, we have a, um, a guide, a coach, Elizabeth Lascala, who is a, she's a, a PhD, and she really works on college admissions. And 
what she has said is that college admissions were expected to be under pressure even before COVID-19 because of all the changes in the National Association for College Admission uh, Counseling Codes of Ethics and Professional Practices. And But prompted by a federal antitrust investigation, the U.S. Department of Justice mandated that the changes um, in college admission restrictions on recruiting students who have already committed to another school. So that means that colleges are now free to poach students who have already pledged attendance elsewhere. And then colleges might start competing for the early decision. They call it ED students or applicants. And they might use various incentives. They might recruit students, you know, after the traditional May 1st decision deadline. They may recruit transfer students who have committed to other schools. And there's nearly 200 schools across the United States that admit students through early decision. And in the past, if our early decision applicants were admitted, they actually had to enroll. But now, highly selective colleges are filling more than half of their incoming freshmen through that process. And the most successful ED applicants are usually legacy applicants and people who have donated a lot of money or even um, athletes. So interestingly, incentives may not be actual monetary awards. Some examples might include housing registration or research opportunities. Admission offices might offer small rewards to a larger number of full-pay students because they're going to try to entice them. And there's going to be, um, there's just going to be a lot of changes. Now, standardized testing delays are adding another layer of confusion because standardized test companies are trying to figure out when, where, and how to offer testing through summer and fall, you know, and now we have the COVID-19. And given the uncertainty of standardized testing, many current high school juniors may opt to not apply for um, early decision for next year or for early action unless they've already gotten their ideal score because you can take the tests more often. And because people want to get the highest score they can. So in the past, some students would take the early offer and then others would turn it down and wait and see if a better offer came in. But now, due to these new mandates, an applicant can accept an offer of, of admission and even make a deposit at a college and they still get to change their mind. So the best advice for anybody that's going to be applying to college with this continued uncertainty uncertainty in these rapidly changing times is it's important to stay on task and to stay informed. And instead of assuming the worst, practice optimism. And so we have to encourage students, if you have students yourself, to um, really, you know, conduct their research online, prepare for tests, find some extracurricular things that's probably going to be um, uh, online things. I mean, I'm sure this is why Be The Star You Are is getting so many young people that want to volunteer right now because there are no other extracurricular activities unless you're volunteering virtually. So to stay informed, you want to check with regular updates at the testing and college websites and communicate with the schools that you are interested in. 
because they have a vested interest in communicating with you as well. And so just remember that many or even most of the usual admissions metrics have been compromised. And so we don't know what the future is going to hold. Some high schools now are even going to a pass-fail grading system, which throws off the usual significance of GPAs and class ranking and um, advanced placement courses. They're probably diluted by distance learning, as we're having to do right now. So there's just a lot of changes. So just keep informed, but don't get stressed out over it. It's all going to work out somehow. Um, it's going to bring into context and probably make some changes that have been long coming. And hopefully all of these will be for the better. Well, that is our show for today. So I thank you so much for being great listeners and allowing me into your life every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific right here on the Voice America Network, the Empowerment Channel. This is a Star Style, Be the Star You Are, and we want to bring you renowned authors from around the world because you can change your life, you can make your dreams come true, and you can read a really good book this week. And let me suggest Saving the Light at Chartres by Victor Pollock because you will be mesmerized by it. So until next week, when we celebrate again, remember, love always wins, kindness always prevails, and smiles will keep us happy. My name is Cynthia Bryan for Star Style. I thank you encourage you to be the star you are. Be your unapologetically authentic self and have a wonderful week. And be here with me next Wednesday, 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific, right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. Have a great week. Thanks for joining me. Be the star you are. The star you It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. For more information, visit StarStyleRadio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are.